right, I got stuck in traffic back there, but it was awesome. Thank you, choir, for leading us. Can we just give them one more round of applause, our worship team, for leading us to worship our Lord today? Yes, so good. I don't know if I knew how much I missed that. I think that's the best y'all have ever sounded. <laughs> All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today. You can go ahead and turn there as I'm turning as well. We're going to continue in our series today called The Good Life. And uh, just as a primer, just to kind of get catch you up and make sure you're aware of kind of where we are and what's been happening so far, is that we are looking at the definition that the world gives us of the good life and comparing it and contrasting it to the definition that the Lord gives. Jesus' definition found in the Scripture, particularly in Mark chapter 10. And we've been talking about this megaphone that the world has been blaring from day one. The enemy blared it to Adam and Eve, and it's only gotten louder and louder as life has gone on. And it's telling us that we can do whatever we want, and that's the good life. We can live our life for us and us only, and that we can be our own God, be our own, uh, uh, be whatever we want, have our best life here and now, and that's it. It's really a cheap imitation of what God has declared uh, from creation as well, but we hear often this megaphone, we hear it so often blaring it in our ears and before our faces constantly and we continually hear this story and we need to be telling ourselves what Jesus wants us to hear, what the good life really is. Uh, in our podcast, I can't remember uh, which episode, but I talked about we need to put on some noise-canceling earphones, right? So that we can drown out what the world is saying and speak to ourselves the truth of the Lord, the truth of His Word. And we need to hear the truth more often than we do the lies. And today we're going to look... We're going to look at um, this chapter, chapter 9... Or chapter 10, and we're going to see the things that the Lord wants us to see from His Word. And we're going to see, um, we're going to see the truth of the Scripture here, and the truth of what Jesus wants us to see, as opposed to what the world needs us and wants us to hear and live. Today, we are speaking particularly. We're speaking particularly about fortune versus generosity. Fortune versus generosity. And we, we, we talked last week about pleasure versus self-control. And, and so I wanted to give a definition as I did last week. We said pleasure is according to the world, according to the good, to the good life that the world puts out there. That we, we have said that pleasure is temporary satisfaction. Well, I want to say today that the, the definition of fortune is temporary fulfillment. Temporary fulfillment. It's this idea that I can go after and grasp after uh, momentary wealth, uh, prosperity, regardless of anyone else. 
that I can serve myself, my desires, my wants. It's very close to pleasure, but it finds its uh, final place in, in going after uh, uh, going after money and treasures here on earth to find our fulfillment in those things. Now, I want to be clear that the Bible does not tell us that we should be destitute and poor. Someone will tell you that. And some believe that even pastors should be the de most destitute and poor of all. We're, we're called to serve just as Jesus was. And I, and I would say there's some good truths about some of those things. Jesus said, you know, he didn't have a, a, a pillow to lay his head on. And, and Jesus served in that way. But the Bible tells us in plenty of other places it's okay to have a fortune or, or have wealth or have good things. The problem becomes when we allow those things, whatever that may be, it's not wrong to have those things. It's wrong when those things have us. Does that make sense? When it becomes wrong is when the things that we are pursuing have a hold on us that we can't break. That, that is when it becomes that we are listening to the world instead of Jesus and what he desires. When we look for our fulfillment in temporary treasures rather than place our hope and our desires in the life to come and the treasures and riches that are far greater than the ones that we can accumulate on earth but have far less of a desire in our own hearts at times because we listen to the world. Now the world would say, go after your fortune, get it however you want, make no ifs, ands, or buts about it, do whatever you want, find it. And, and when we hear ourselves saying, this is mine, or I deserve it, or I've worked so hard for this. Those can be very dangerous statements because at some point we may have made the switch from I have things to my things have me. And that's the danger. The Bible doesn't condemn fortune or having means. It does condemn the heart bound to earthly treasure rather than the heart bound to Christ and kingdom riches. Does that make sense? Do you understand that language of a heart being bound to something and someone? And the difference that the world says the good life says our heart should be bound to Christ and to eternal things. Or that's the, the Jesus says that. The world says our, our heart is bound to whatever we want here. We find our fulfillment in these things that will one day fade away. I feel like I was going really well there until I switched them up. So let me be clear. The world says go after whatever you want. Do whatever you can. Uh, cut, scratch, claw, and get it yourself. And live your life uh, for riches and finding fulfillment in the fortunes that you can acquire here on earth. That's what the world says. But what Jesus says Find your fulfillment in the riches to come. The riches that are only afforded to us through Christ. Jesus indicates that we ought to have not only hearts that are minded uh, on the heavenly riches, but we should have 
generous hearts. You cannot be generous if all you're ever concerned about is getting your own temporary fulfillment. However, you can be generous when you realize this is not mine anyway. What I have is the Lord's, and He's granted to me graciously the things that I have, and I want to be a good steward of it, but I want to use it to be generous with it, to be kind with it. And generous hearts don't come from the same hearts that are bound to things that we have on earth. So we're going to ask ourselves three questions. As we've kind of done in this series, we've asked ourselves some questions to help us reflect and to think about what's, what's the difference here. And we see in the Scripture these different aspects really uh, juxtaposed to one another, really contrary to one another. The, the world's mentality and the way we buy into that and then what Jesus says. And so let's look at chapter 10 and let's ask this first question. Will you store earthly treasure or heavenly riches? Starting in chapter 10, verse 13, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So that is very important. That frames our understanding of what is the the rest of the story that's about to come. The kingdom of God is available to to little children who have no ability to acquire treasures on their own. Right? My daughter saves up every penny that she has, my oldest one, and she constantly tells me how much she has. And it's great. I mean, it's a a great number for a 10-year-old. But in the grand scheme of things, it pales in comparison to what you need. And she's very dependent upon me to give that to her. You see, she cannot go out at 10 years old, because there are laws against that, and go earn uh, considerable amounts of money for herself. She can't acquire that on her own. Now, don't talk to me about YouTube. I know there's 10-year-olds on there that make more than we could ever dream of, right? It's the world we live in. But they still have to go through their parents, I assure you. That was supposed to be funny. Sorry. Obviously, it was not. If you don't know... There are, we looked it up this week, I don't know, randomly, and like the kid that, the person who makes the most money on YouTube, which is millions of dollars a year, is a little like six, seven, eight-year-old boy that just unwraps toys for the watching world to see. So it can be done, but he is dependent upon his parents. They left their jobs, they quit all that, so they could help him do that. And it still applies that children are what inherits the kingdom and children on their own cannot uh, cannot attain riches. It's this beautiful picture of the least of these able to inherit the greatest thing possible. And what we see next is possibly the greatest that the world could ever give that walks away from the kingdom. Look at what the scripture says. In continuation here in verse 16 after taking them in his arms he led laid his hands on them and blessed them so that's the kids but look what happens the rich young ruler you'll you'll know this story 
As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. You see, Jesus knew where his heart was. Jesus knew what had his heart. And Jesus said, Go, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And I would say his possessions had him. So what do we see here? We see two things completely opposite happening at one time. Little children who cannot inherit uh, the kingdom on their, they're fully dependent on someone else to have faith, to believe, to give their hearts, give their lives and understand, I need someone else to help me. And Jesus said, if you will be like this child, full of faith, full of trust, full of innocence, full of willingness to say, I believe like we sang a moment ago and I will follow. Or will you be like this young, rich, rich young ruler who had everything he could possibly want and he wanted heaven too, but he wasn't willing to give up what it took to have it. He was storing earthly treasure. And Jesus wants us to understand it's heavenly riches that we should be going after. We must be careful. We need to hold on to heavenly riches not to the things that may hold on to us here and now. I've already said it, but it bears repeating. It's not wrong to have things, to have 401ks and retirement funds and all those things. What's wrong is when those things are more important to us and to our heart than eternal life. And I pray that we'd all be willing to throw it all away if it came down to it. That Jesus would have our hearts, not our stuff. The second thing, and the second question we want to ask is, will you trust in your own competency or will you throw yourself on God's competency? Will you throw yourself on the Lord and trust Him? Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. And we see here that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. And again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Who can inherit the kingdom if it's that hard? Jesus, looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. 
Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields without, with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. So what we see here, the disciples are astounded at what Jesus says. Who can be saved, do they say? If, if it's that hard for, for a rich person to enter heaven, if it's, if it's that hard for anyone, because Jesus doesn't just mention the rich, he says it's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom. How can anyone be saved? And they're wrestling with that, and we should be too. It's a very important thing to wrestle with. What, what are we willing to give up in this life that will help us to inherit the life to come? Jesus is showing them that no one, not me, not you, none of us, has the competency <clears throat> and the ability to be what we need to be and to do what we need to do to achieve eternal life and salvation on our own. And that should be something difficult to wrestle with. But that's not the rest of the story. Jesus said, with man... It's impossible, but not with God. You see, God is the one who saves. And we should throw ourselves on His competency, His abilities, His willingness, not only to love us, but to save us and to do what we couldn't do. You see, what Jesus wanted this young man to do was realize... I can't get in there because something else has the place inside your heart that belongs to me. And not until you're willing to throw all of those things off and say, I will follow you. I will uh, live my life for you. I will throw myself on Jesus and his abilities. Not until then are you able to inherit heavenly riches. Our competency does not save us. Our abilities does not save us. Remember the little children? What's, what, what was it about little children that helped them? What, that is the picture for you and I that we should be like them so that we will inherit eternal life? They're completely, completely unable to do it themselves. And that we should be like them, trusting the Lord, following Jesus. The third question that we need to ask is, will we place ourselves before others, like in front of them, or will we serve them? Jesus knew the heart of his disciples, and he knew what they were wrestling with and what we will see as we look next week more clearly what he says in verse 31 is helping us to see 
him confronting something in their hearts. He says this, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And what Jesus is showing his disciples and us as well is that it doesn't matter if we are advanced. If I'm first in line, if I'm there achieving all the things that I can, receiving all the things that I can, going after all the things that I can to advance Derek, that's not what matters. It's not until we become the last and the least and the willing to give, the willing to serve, the willing to love others, serve others, and put others before ourselves <coughs> that we will find where we need to be. Some of the disciples wouldn't have minded a fortune, perhaps a big one, when Jesus became the ruler that they were hoping that he would be. And they were his right-hand men. And Jesus quickly shoots down their thinking, you want to be first? You'll be last. <clears throat> you must be last. And by letting others go before you, generosity is the thing that Jesus looks toward. It's the humble heart. It's the heart like his that he wants us to have. <clears throat> it's not the heart that says, let me go after whatever I can to achieve for me so that I can advance me in my agenda. Because that's what the world is telling us through the megaphone. Remember? That's what the enemy said to Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Why did he say you couldn't eat of that tree, the fruit off of that tree? You want to know why? Because he don't want you to be like him. And you can be if you'll just do it. It's the temptation. It's the megaphone going out across the world for centuries and, and, uh, and millennia saying the same thing. Live your life for you. Do whatever you want to and advance yourself. And what Jesus says is that you must be humble. You must humble yourselves. Jesus shows us that humility is what he was demonstrating and humility is what you and I need. Philippians 2 verse 5 and following it says that Jesus did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped and so he emptied himself humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming like you and I. Jesus came, and the uh, Philippians 2 continues to say that he died on a cross. He humbled himself to the greatest extent. He received the humiliation of a sinner's cross. And he bled and died and humbled himself so that you and I could be exalted. So that you and I could have forgiveness. He lowered himself so that through him, you and I could be lifted, forgiven, changed. And it's that that we are meant to throw ourselves on the love, the mercy, the sacrifice, 
of Jesus. And in turn, be humble like him, loving, serving, putting ourselves last, pursuing him first, putting our hope in treasures that will come one day, not necessarily treasures that we can attain now. Today, we get to take the Lord's Supper, and I would remind you, if you didn't get one of these, now's a good time. And in the Lord's Supper, it's this beautiful picture to remind ourselves of again and again and again. A crucified Savior. Beaten, bloodied, and dead temporarily for you and I. And by taking the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that. And we're asking God to help us to be changed by that. He's helping us to remember how we need to be humble ourselves. And be generous <clears throat> rather than trying to grasp at and attain our own fortune and treasure. So my heart is, as we take this now, that we would recall Jesus' body broken. And that we would in turn say, Lord, help me to be humble like you were. That we would recall Jesus' blood spilt for you and me as we drink the, the cup to remind us that God's wrath was poured out on him so that it wouldn't have to be poured out on me and you and that we would in turn be humbled and be generous and be kind and be willing to go tell others about this wonderful message this wonderful truth this amazing Savior who's worthy of all of our praise. If you would, at this time, you take the bread and remember the body, blood, blood, uh, the body broken for us. Jesus, as he shared with his disciples in the upper room, he took what was common to them, this picture of the Passover, of the afikoman, the the, the unleavened bread that they ate time and time again to remember what happened in Egypt. But Jesus says, I want you to know that I am pictured in this, and I have been all along. It's a shadow for you to remember what, and to understand what I would do. And now that I'm here, I'm establishing a new covenant, a new promise that we are to remember that his body was broken for us. And so as we eat it, remember that Jesus' body broken for you. Take and eat. <clears throat> and as we take the cup, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples took the cup. Again, a picture of the Passover 
of the Lamb's blood posted on the doorposts and on the door frame to cover for those that uh, would need covering to save the firstborns of anyone with that Lamb's blood. And it was a reminder, it was a shadow of what was to come, and Jesus was showing them what you've been, what you've been taking this cup all along was a picture of what I would come and do for you as well, that my blood would be spilled, it would be placed upon wooden posts so that anyone who believes in me, their sins would be passed over, their sins would be covered. And Jesus' blood covers our sins. And so as we drink it, remember, remember, take and drink. If you would like to respond to the Lord today and follow Him in any way, you can do that. I'm here. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to share with you. I'd love to help you find faith in Jesus. I'd love to help you renew your faith in Jesus. I'd love to help you find a faith family to join and be a part of, and we'd love to start that process with you. You can come. That uh, is a response that you can make. But in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples, after they took the Lord's Supper, which was the Passover meal at the time, they got up and they sang together. And so would you stand, and we're going to sing. And if you want to respond to the Lord, now's a great time to do that. But we all get to respond to him and what he did for us by singing to him. And we sing a wonderful song, how worthy he is of everything that we could ever give. And so let's worship the Lord and declare his worthiness now as we sing. And if you want to respond, I'll be here for you to do that as well.